Well, good morning once again. It's great to see you in the house of the Lord. Uh, no, I am not Pastor Todd, but I do thank him for the privilege to stand in the pulpit this morning and deliver the message. Um, so with that uh, being said, go ahead and get your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 is where we're going to be today. And the topic we're going to be discussing is the commission of Christ, the commission of Christ. All right. Now, uh, before we even get started there, um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of the term, well, this changes everything? Anybody? Is it just me? Yes. We have all had circumstances in our lives. We've all had different things come up in our lives that something, one, one thing, one thing comes into our life and it changes everything. Some of you in here have had the chilling words. You've been to the doctor and you've had the chilling words come at you that said, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. That one thing changed your entire perspective and outlook on life. I, Ten years ago, went to the doctor and he said, I'm sorry, bud, but you have high cholesterol. Seriously? So that one outlook on my life, I I began, I'm doing a bad job because I still love fried foods, but that one thing in my life, I still have to, it has changed me. It has changed what I I want to eat all the time. I love fried foods. I'm a good old southern boy. I want fried chicken. I want everything. I want fried Oreos, fried Twinkies, you name it, they're good. I want it fried because it's good. But I can't eat all those things all the time because I have high cholesterol. That one thing in my life changed everything. Some of you have heard the news, you got high blood pressure. You have this, you have that, you have that. And that changed everything. One instance that I can think of recently within this past, well, it's been, it's been a while back, uh, we got the news that, hey, man is pregnant. And those of you that out there know that that one thing changed everything. <laughs> everything. One thing. One factor. And it's not just in this, the, these terms, it's also in the wonderful world of science. Now, in the wonderful world of science, you all, uh, if you remember way back, if I have to remember way back for me, to go back into my high school and college days and remember uh, back in science, they, they said if you added one thing that changed everything, it was called a what? Anybody know the word I'm looking for? I heard somebody mumble it. Catalyst. Ever heard that term? A catalyst. A catalyst is something that you put into something, and it changes absolutely everything in it. Here's a perfect example, one of my most favorite examples. Everything goes back to food. I don't know if you've ever, if you've heard me speak before, it always goes back to food. Sorry. But one of the first examples I have and one of my favorite examples is yeast. I love yeast rolls. Okay, you go to Logan's and you get these things slopped with butter and they are just phenomenal. They're great. But think about it, yeast, yeast what it does, it gets in the dough and it begins to break down the sugars in the flour and all that stuff and it begins to break it down. And what does it start to do? It starts to produce gas. And the bread rises and it creates all these bubbles and you have this nice, beautiful, you bake it and then the enzymes die and you have this, ah, oh, this wonderful roll, popping hot, coming out, slop with butter and it's just, it's good for sopping and everything. It's just good. So you've got, you've got the yeast in the bread. Uh, all my youth that are back about three-quarters of the way back, they're definitely going to know this, and if you're a parent of one of them, they're going to know this as well. Anybody ever seen, uh, you get a bottle of Diet Coke. You get a Mentos. You put that one single solitary Mentos in a two-liter of Diet Coke. What happens? You have a volcano. Instantaneous. Plop, whoosh. Instantaneous volcano. If you haven't done it, go do it, but out in the open space, nowhere near your house, and be ready to run. It's quite fun. But that one thing, you add it, 
completely changes everything. One thing. And last thing, most of you will know this, Alka-Seltzer. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Alka-Seltzer. You have, you drop it in the water, and the, the chemical, the things that are inside it, the baking soda and whatever else it is, uh, inside this Alka-Seltzer, you add the catalyst of water, and it begins to fizz. And you get this nice, effervescent, bubbly thing that you drink that makes you feel much better. So, with all of these things, you have a catalyst. You have one thing, enter one thing into all of these situations, and it completely changes everything in it, right? Without these catalysts, we would have a cracker and not these luscious yeast rolls that I love so much. Crackers are good, but I mean, crackers, yeast rolls. Come on. <laughs> so you have these things, and then you have the Mentos and the Coke bottle. That just provides fun. I mean, come on. If not, you got plain old boring Diet Coke, and you got the Mentos. And then if you don't have the catalyst of the Alka-Seltzer, millions of bellies around the world wouldn't feel as good as they do today. Catalyst. Ladies and gentlemen, as Christians... There is a catalyst, and his name is Jesus Christ. You enter that one thing into your life, and it completely changes everything. Completely changes everything. One item. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about how entering that one item into your life should change it. Now, we all see when you drop that Mentos into that Diet Coke bottle, it's instantaneous. Fountain. The moment Jesus Christ enters your life should be an instantaneous change that people can see. Now, this change comes about, and he gives us a couple things to look at. And the commission of Christ is what we're going to talk about. Okay? You can see all these changes through Christ. And indeed, Adam Campbell, anybody ever heard of a man named uh, Adam Campbell? Okay, Adam Campbell was a guy who survived the Columbine school shootings. And back in 1999, he went in front of the House committee, and they were talking to him about how to increase safety in the schools. And these are the correct, just very few words, but correct words that he said. He said, sir, if a person has a bad heart, you can't change it. Only God can change a bad heart. And that is what we're going to talk about today as we're talking about the commission of Christ and Christians and graduates, church and graduates. If you proclaim Jesus Christ has come into your life, your life should be changed. And God has, Christ has given you a commission to talk about. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the, this commission that he has given you has a message. The commission has a message. But we're going to go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you will, please stand with me. I'm reading to you this morning from the English Standard Version. And it reads this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. First thing, first thing about the commission of Christ you need to understand is this commission has 
a message. This commission has a message. Now, we're going to talk about what this message means. So look with me. Make sure you have your Bibles in front of you. Don't close it. We ain't done. Keep your Bible sitting on your lap because we're going to refer to it. All right? Verse 17. Therefore, stop. You've all heard it, but it makes the most sense I've ever heard in my entire life. What is the therefore? Therefore. It looks back. Anytime you see a therefore, that's one word. You look why that therefore is there. Why is Paul saying therefore? Well, look back in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though, once, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So here's what Paul is trying to get the point across to you. He says, okay, we regard no one according to the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, may I be clear. No race, no nationality, no social standing, none of these. We regard no one according to the flesh. That has nothing to do with Christian love. Nothing to do with Christian love. Regarding people according to the flesh, we should love them like Christ loves them. And he uses a perfect example because he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Think back to who Paul was. Who was Paul? That's a question you can answer me. Who was Paul? He was an apostle. He was Saul. Now, what did Saul do? He persecuted Christians. He went around killing people like you and killing people like me because we professed Christ. So he's using his example of saying, hey, you know what? We can't regard people like this because you know what? This is the way I used to regard Christ. I used to regard Christ in this fashion. I thought he was a a messianic buffoon who was going around and preaching a false doctrine. And he wanted to kill anybody who believed him. He said, I once regarded Christ this way, but I met him, and I had a transforming by him. When he met him on that Damascus road, his life was changed instantaneously. The catalyst came in, and Saul became Paul, and he said, you can't re- I can't view people the way I used to because I don't, re- I don't view Christ the way that I used to. How are you viewing Christ this morning? Therefore, in verse 17, he begins back again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, that doesn't say if anyone is in Buddha, if anyone is in Muhammad, if anyone is in you enter whoever you think you can enter. No. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, what are you? You are a new creation, a new creation. We love new things. To be saved is to be new and to be new is to be changed. All right. Think about it. We all like new things, don't we? I like new stuff. Not going to lie. It's nice to get a, a, new, a new suit to wear, a new bow tie to wear on Sunday morning. It's nice to have these things. It's nice to have a new house. It's nice to have a new car. We all like new things. Some people want it. It's different for each person. You all want something new. Some people, it may be clothes. Okay? Some people, it may be shoes. I say this because that was not my advice. I had, when I got, uh, before I started dating Amanda, and she's laughing already. When I started dating Amanda, I had... An old pair of tennis shoes, a new pair of tennis shoes, a pair of boots, a pair of flops, a black pair of dress shoes, and a brown pair of dress shoes. That's it. My shoe wardrobe has tripled (laughs) since I got married. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that new shoes didn't do it for me. My wife said, you need shoes. I said, yes, ma'am. And you know what? I get compliments on my shoes. Thank you very much. We all want new things. For some people, it's new clothes. Some people, it's new cars. I had a buddy back home 
Uh, his name is Brandon. He's not ashamed of this fact. He changed cars about as often as I changed socks, which, mind you, is very often. He had a different car. I know about, okay, there was one year he had four new cars. Now, they weren't brand new, brand new, but they were different cars. I said, boy, what are you doing? It was something he wanted. It was a new thing. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. We try to fill our lives with these new things, new clothes, new cars. Some people, it's new gadgets. You want the latest little thing. You want the latest little iPad. You want the latest iPhone. You want the latest laptop. You want it all. We try to fill our lives with these new things. But guess what? Who brings the best new into our life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings the best new into your life. We try to fill it with all other things. We can't fill it with anything other than Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. For me, I was 11 years old when I became a new creation in Christ. I surrendered to Christ as my Lord and Savior at Missionary Ridge Baptist Church in the foothills of Morganton, North Carolina when I was 11 years old. I've never been the same since then. Because when he came into my life, I was a new creation. And he promises the same thing to you and to me. And he keeps on going. He says, you are a new creation and the old has passed away. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're that new creation in Christ, all the old stuff passed away. Your values, your priorities, your beliefs, your loves, your plans. Bye-bye. Because if you surrender to Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. And guess what? Behold, if the old is gone, what has to come in? If, you, if I get a new shirt... What am I going to do with my old one? Throw it away. The old has passed away. I have a shirt my wife wants to pass away. I'm going to submit. I, well, I'm going to, to give in. It's a shirt that I've had, I know, 12 years. I wore it to mow the grass just this past Friday, and she said, can I throw that shirt away? It has holes all in it. Like, it's, it's threadbare. Like, it's not, I didn't rip it. I've washed it in, with bleach so much, it's disintegrating. The old is needing to pass away. You can throw that shirt away. You can throw the shirt away. The old is passing away, and the new has come. But here's something we, t- we need to take from this verse, ladies and gentlemen. I am by no means a Greek scholar. If you want to know more about the Greek biblical language, please go see Pastor Ted. I refer you to him. But there's one thing that we can understand from this if we look back at the Greek. Behold, the new has come. This verb, come, is a verb. Would you all agree with me? Once for yes, two for no. Yes. Verb come is a verb. To come is in the perfect tense. So, all you English teachers and primary teachers out there, what is a perfect tense verb? Oh, great. Perfect tense. If a verb is in the perfect tense, Pastor Ted, help me out. If a verb is in the perfect tense, what does that mean? Come on, Mr. <laughs> He knows he's being shy. Perfect tense. If a verb is in the perfect tense, you mean it is a completed action that carries on. It's something that has happened and continues to happen. I'm going to give you an English perfect verb sentence. Women have been able to vote in the United States since since the 1920s. They've been able to since the 20s. That means it happened in the 20s, and guess what? You can still vote. It's continuing on. So... Behold, the new has come is in the perfect tense. That means, that means that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the perfect came at that time. 
changed you. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It's still coming. You are still renewing your mind for the glory of Christ. Make sense? Moving on. The old has passed away, the new has come. Look at verse 18. For all this is from God. All this, all what? All what he's just talking about. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, you ready for this? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old passed away. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Verse 18. All of this is from God. All these wonderful things, the new creation. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here is a theological idea that this verse talks about. Anybody ever heard of the theological idea, imputation? To impute something on someone. Anybody heard it? Raise your hand if you heard it. Excellent. If you haven't, here you go. They borrow this term from the banking industry. When you go to the bank, you have a check, usually. You go to the bank, and you take it to the tailor. I go right down here to State Employees Credit Union. I put my check up there. I got my deposit slip. I slide my little card. And they take that money and they put it on my account. They have imputed that money from Adamsville Baptist Church to me. Praise God and thank you. <laughs> they have given that to my account. Now, he is reconciling all of these things to us. Christ, this is what Christ is doing. When God does this, God takes this, and he imputes everything that should be yours. What should be yours, ladies and gentlemen? Riddle me that. What should be yours? Should you have all the things that you have? Should you be living the way you're living? In, we're sitting in an air-conditioned sanctuary on padded pews and enjoying a big lunch when we leave here, and we're going to go home and take off our good clothes and put on some comfy clothes. Should you enjoy all these things? He has given these things to you, but what do you really deserve? You deserve hell. We all have sinned against God, and you deserve hell because sin requires punishment. But God in his grace and God to bring himself glory has imputed all what belongs to you and put it on Christ. You have, he has put it on Christ's account. Paid in full. He's reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, this begs the question, as I was reading this, what is the ministry of reconciliation? Well, you know what? I'm glad you asked that question. Keep on reading. Look in verse 19. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He has, his desire is to reconcile the world to himself. Take a moment for me. Look at me right now. Look at me. Now, now that I have everybody's attention, I want you to look around this room. Look around the room. Yes, please do. Thank you very much. All right. This is not what heaven is going to look like. Not. Heaven is not going to be filled with a bunch of middle-class people. It's not. Heaven is going to be filled with people from every tribe, 
every tongue, every nation, gathered around his throne, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, and we will be worshiping him. That's a glorious thought. His desire is that the whole world, not just the people that are gathered here, not just the people that in our little segregated clumps we like to sit in on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, over in the youth building, we got the people we talk to, us four no more, close the door. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Ted. No, no. No, no. Heaven is going to be filled with people from everywhere. Praising his name. Desires to reconcile the whole world to himself, not counting a trespasses against them. And listen to this fact. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Woo! Entrusting to us. Entrusting to pastors? No. No. Entrusting to Sunday school teachers? No. No. Entrusting to small group leaders? No. Entrusting to us. Ladies and gentlemen, you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. What is that message of reconciliation? Christ saves us from sins, and he can save everybody who calls on his name, turns, repents, and believes and follows in him. He has entrusted you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a youth pastor, and I love my job. I, I hope you know that I love my job. I am thankful every day to get the opportunity to work with your students. Now, these students are professing in Christ, and I love them very much, but there's something about a 13-year-old mind that I just wouldn't trust. A lot of times, 12 and 13, I wouldn't trust them to walk my dog from the corner and back <laughs> because they get distracted texting on the phone. and You know, I was the same way. I was, I was too stupid. I'd get distracted. I'm still a little bit. I have to go, when I study, I have to go in the room and close the blinds because I'll say, oh, look, a squirrel. What's he doing? It's a funny squirrel. Oh, yeah, then I have to come back. So, with all that being said, God is trusting us, even, yes, teenagers, yes, graduates, you. He's entrusting you. Parents, he's entrusting you. Grandparents, he's entrusting you with the message of reconciliation. To take it to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, to this city, to this state, to this nation, and to the world. He is entrusting you with a message of reconciliation. It's an amazing thought. Above all creation, God has made a donkey talk. God can do anything he wants to, but yet he still chooses to use you and me. The commission has a message. The commission not only has a message, the second thing I want you to take from this passage is the commission has a ministry. This commission that Christ has given you has a ministry, and it's found right here in verse 20. Please read verse 20 with me. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to us. Therefore, what's therefore, therefore? You look back. You've got all these things. You've got the message of reconciliation. He has made you an ambassador. Let's think about it, ladies and gentlemen. What is an ambassador? Please answer me. Good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I like that. Good. An ambassador, very good, good answers. An ambassador is someone who speaks on behalf of someone else, right? 
And here's the thing you need to understand. For the good or for the bad. An ambassador speaks for someone else. We've all heard of ambassadors, maybe an ambassador to China or maybe an ambassador to such and such and such, and they've just made vast mistakes. And they have given the United States of America a bad name in that country. Ladies and gentlemen, we are ambassadors for Christ. Graduates, you are ambassadors for Christ wherever he's taking you. What kind of name are you going to give Christ? In the ancient Roman Empire, there were two different provinces, that, two different things they had. They had imperial provinces and senatorial provinces. Now, the senatorial provinces were provinces that surrendered to Rome. They said, okay, we're good. We'll do whatever you tell us to. But the imperial provinces, they had to send ambassadors to because they were ready to rebel. And so they sent ambassadors there to keep them from rebelling. Now, God is sending you into this world as his ambassador because this is an imperial province. The world is rebelling against God, and he has sent you into this world. He has sent me into this world to tell of the love of Jesus Christ and the message of reconciliation. As I was studying this, I came across a story, a true story. And I couldn't think of any better way to talk about it because God is sending you into this world, but yet the world doesn't want you. The world doesn't want us coming and, and spreading. The world has stopped crying out to God. They're crying out to everybody else but God and Christians. I read the story and I wept. And so therefore I've read it about ten times, so I will hopefully not cry on you right now. It's a, it's a story by Russell D. Moore. It's found in Christianity Today back in July 2010. Go with me. My wife Maria and I stood in the hallway of an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union. On the first of two trips required for our petition to adopt, the orphanage staff led us down a hallway to greet the two one-year-olds we hoped would become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor and the stench, although we at times stifled the urge to vomit and weep. The horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. I stopped and I pulled on Maria's elbow and I asked her, why is it so quiet? This place is filled with babies. Both of us compared the stillness with the buzz and punctuated squeals that came from our church nursery back home. Here, if we listened carefully enough, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth. The crib slats gently bumping against the walls. These children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, and for love. No one had responded to these children, so they stopped. The silence continued as we entered the boys' room. Little Sergei, who is now Timothy, smiled at us, dancing up and down while holding the side of his crib. Little Maxim, who is now Benjamin, stood straight up at attention, regal and czar-like. But neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they couldn't understand and, 
and saying goodnight to the moon and cows jumping over the same. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the appointed time the same way we had entered, in silence. On the last day of the trip, Maria and I arrived at the moment when, that we dreaded since the minute we arrived for our adoption referral. We had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law, we had to return to the United States and wait for legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when they heard the scream. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some level, he knew that he had a father and a mother now. I'll never forget that the hairs on my arms stood up as I heard the yell. I was struck that maybe, maybe for the first time, by the force of the cries of Abba, Father, in the New Testament passages that I had read, ones that I even memorized in vacation Bible school, I was surprised at how little I had gotten it until now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the picture of the world. They have stopped crying out to God. Why? Because nobody responded. Who's in charge of responding? We are. Just like these little kids. They stopped crying out because no one came and showed them the love that was due them. You have been called a minister of reconciliation, church. Graduates, you have been called a minister of reconciliation. But guess what? When we go out into this world, they're not looking for us. They've stopped crying. Who are they crying to? They're crying to the government. They're crying to anybody that will hear them. Why? Because, do you know people used to cry out to God and people used to cry out to the church for help? We didn't have such things as Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, and all of these things. Why? Because if there was somebody destitute in the, in the community, who took care of them? Church. Church. But yet, the world has stopped crying because they don't see Christians loving the way that we are called to. They don't see us going out. No matter when we go out and we try to show them the love of Christ, there might not be any response. Just like that baby. There may be zero response. But that doesn't negate the fact that he has called us to be ministers of his gospel with a ministry of reconciliation. It does not negate the fact. doesn't tell you, you can only go out one time and do it. No, he says, go, 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 go. And you know what? One day, our prayer and our cries, they will cry out, Abba, Father. Just like that kid, Maxim, fell back in his crib and screamed because he knew somebody loved him. We have that opportunity to go out into this world and minister for the gospel. Gospel, these people may not even know they want or need. They don't know to cry out to God because they've never heard of Him. Ladies and gentlemen, church, graduates, you are His ambassadors. He is calling you to go out with the message of reconciliation, ambassador of Christ, making His appeal through us. And so, 
The last part of verse 20. The last part of verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That should be our prayer. Graduates, this should be your prayer. Whether he's taking you to to college, to grad school, into the workforce, he's sending you out as an ambassador. And you should take this ministry of reconciliation seriously. Because you should take this to the world that's not crying for him. And show them the love of Christ. And one day, hopefully, these people will too cry out, Abba, Father. What an amazing responsibility he has given to you. What amazing responsibility he has given to us all. Ladies and gentlemen, as a music pastor and a youth pastor as well, I can't help but think of this one song that I sang. Uh, You'll know it as well as a song I sang as a kid growing up. It's Take the Name of Jesus With You. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Take the name of Jesus with you wherever he leads you. Church, take the name of Jesus with you wherever he leads you. In closing, I want us to do something because, ladies and gentlemen, these are our graduates. These are your sons and daughters. These are people that you have invested in. I'm going to ask my graduates to come up here and just kind of spread out up front. Now, just like we were told here today that we are all ambassadors for Christ. We are all, if you're saved, you are an ambassador for Christ. Now, these graduates have been here, and they have been invested to uh, by their parents. So if you're a parent of one of these graduates, please stand up. Now, church... A lot of these people in here have grown up in this place. If you have ever been their Sunday school teacher, if you have ever helped them out in Awana, if you have ever done anything for them throughout their time here, please stand up. Now, church, look around. These are ambassadors for Christ that have invested in these people's lives. This is the chain that's supposed to go on. This is what the church looks like. Teaching those who will teach those who will teach those who will teach those. We are sending them out to go with the commission of Christ, with his message and with his ministry. So parents, if you wouldn't mind, I want the parents to come up here and we're going to pray. Everybody else can be seated, but I want my parents to come around, around your graduate, come to your graduate. And I want you to pray for your graduate. I'm going to give you uh, a few moments to pray for your graduate, and then I'll close this in prayer as we send them out. And after we pray, Doug's going to come up and lead us in, in a song of invitation. But if you're a parent of one of these graduates, please come and pray. As they're praying for their graduates, I want you, where you sit, to pray for them as well and pray for this church to have the, the message 
and the ministry of the commission of Christ. Pray with, pray with me silently in your seat. Our great God and Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for Christ. And we thank you that you have given us the privilege of this message. We, we thank you for the privilege of this ministry that you have given us. May we take it seriously, Father. May you guide us. May you guide our steps. May you guide our thoughts. May you guide our deeds and actions to carry your message and your ministry to a lost and dying world that is not crying out for you. And we ask, Father, that you would use us to bring your name, the glory, the honor, and the fame that it is due. Thank you again for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Parents, you may be seated. Graduates, you may be